Dear listeners, to hear homilies like this throughout the week, please join the Ministry of the Word podcast. Links are below for all listening options. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Beloved in Christ, in today's gospel reading, we continue to serve as witnesses to the signs and miracles of our Savior. These actions are proof of his uniqueness among all men. His authority over nature, his accomplishment of that which has never been done before. And as the drama of this incredible event of today's gospel reading plays out, the blind and incredulous Pharisees, unwilling to believe in the authority of this one whose authority would be greater than theirs, they're brought to shame by a simple man, blind from birth, offering his witness, which is far from complex. You heard it in today's reading. Why, this is a marvel, he said. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What a splendid demonstration of honesty. This was honesty and simplicity proving to be the groundwork for an authentic witness to the manifestation of God on earth in the very person of Jesus Christ. The miracle of the restoration of physical sight in the man from this story and then his simple willingness to see Christ who really is, serves as a powerful juxtaposition to the opposing Pharisees who possessed physical sight all along, yet consigned themselves to the state of spiritual blindness by refusing to believe that any of this could be real. I believe that these men knew what it would mean to admit that someone could perform such a miracle on such a day as the Sabbath that this one would have to be the transcendent one. To accept that a man could do what only God could do would be to admit that the divinity itself worked in this person. To accept humiliation and soften their hearts even a little would mean to follow this revelation through to its conclusion that this man, the son of man, as he called himself, is also the son of God. While the messianic theme is the overarching one in this narrative, this theme that Christ is God, that he's the light of the world, who gives true vision, also embedded in this story is a significant human question asked by the disciples and answered by Jesus and then later opposed by the Pharisees. The disciples inquired, Before the miracle had taken place, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this is an honest question because we know that with sin came death and corruption. So surely, logically, there had to be someone who was culpable for this man's condition. 
he had himself somehow, which would be absurd because he had been blind from birth, or his parents. And so the absurdity of the former would lead to the conclusion of the latter. It must have been the sin of the parents that caused the blindness of their son. Even in the hymns for great vespers, we hear these poetic words as if spoken by the blind man himself. To himself did the blind man think and say, Is it, I wonder, for the sin of my parents that I was born without eyes? Have I become an example because of the faithlessness of the Gentiles? I cease not from asking, When is the night? When is the day? My feet have no more strength from the impact of the stones, for I have never seen the sun shining, nor have I seen my Creator in any form whatsoever. Albeit I beseech thee, O Christ God, to look upon me and have mercy on me. This was sung during Great Vespers. To the perplexity of both of the disciples, and it seems to the man himself, Jesus proclaims these words. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And that's what I want to focus on today. First, what is the cause of disorder within the human person? Surely it's sin. For to sin is to act in a manner contrary to nature and therefore to reap the consequences of this opposition. When we act in a manner contrary to our nature, we reap the consequences that are contrary to our nature. Yet in this story, the Lord himself clearly states that the condition of this man born blind is not something we can blame on anyone in particular. Rather, this blindness, undoubtedly the byproduct of a fallen world, was allowed by God in order that God's goodness might be revealed in him. The reality represented here by loss of sight is really one that we can all identify with. Physical, psychological, spiritual, human malady, human ailment. Brokenness, you could say. We're all subject to these things. And some may even be the result of the sins of our parents. But that's beside the point. The point in identifying the state of brokenness and imperfection is to draw our attention to the condition of humanity, a condition which we all experience. Placing blame identifies the cause but does not result in a solution. In fact, it results in the opposite. Placing the blame essentially allows the person to identify himself as victim to sin and as one subjected to sin and its consequence. This leads us down a dark path of speculation. If such things could happen to me, then how could I have any role in the scheme of God's grand narrative, his story, his providence being worked out in the midst of this world? And then we hear these words. That the works of God might be made manifest in him. In the case of the man of this story, he was permitted to be blind from birth. And surely it was not God's will that anyone would be subject to corruption and death, illness and discomfort. 
But he cooperates with us in our freedom in allowing even us to fall and experience fallenness and allows us to cooperate with him in our freedom. And this is the mystery of God's providence in the midst of a fallen world. He surely allows us to experience the results and consequences of sin, not even to punish us. But we could say boldly, he allows us to experience the consequences of sin as with the blind man, that the works of God might be made manifest in our lives. The conclusion for the man in this story is that he was granted sight. And as the result of this, bore witness to Christ and even worshipped him. He well could have said, thanks, but why did you let this happen to begin with? Not only was I blind for much of my life, but after I was healed, I was alienated from my people, rejected by them. But trusting in God's providence, he found true peace, true vision. A miracle took place, but even greater is the miracle of his coming to faith in the God-man and allowing himself to fall within the scheme of God's providence. Either we accept or we reject that while much is out of our control, all follows within this falls. Excuse me. Either we accept or reject that while much is out of our control, it all falls within the scheme of God's providence. This is the source of our true peace. Whether or not we're granted healing from our ailments, we must ask of ourselves, from where I am now in the condition that I am in, how might the works of God be made manifest in me? Not if only the circumstances were different for me, or not if I had different parents, if only I was free from my burdens. We actually become free by means of our burdens when we entrust ourselves to God's providence. Unwavering hope in the midst of trial can serve as the greatest witness to God, the most powerful expression of His glorification, an indication of true, not just temporary healing. He does give us the strength to overcome the passions, and I don't want anyone to think that acts of sin are somehow justified as falling within the scheme of God's providence, but certainly they're allowed. The fathers talk about these things according to St. John of Damascus. Some of the works of God's providence result from his good pleasure, whereas others he allows to happen. God wills some things and others he permits. Everything that accords with his good pleasure is completely good, whereas things that happen by permission are of many different kinds. God allows someone to fall into misfortune so that his hidden virtue may be displayed, as was the case with Job. Sometimes he permits something seemingly inappropriate to happen in order that something greater may be accomplished, as when the salvation of humankind was brought about through the cross. At other times, he allows a saintly person to suffer, as did the Apostle Paul to prevent him from losing his grace and becoming arrogant. One person may be temporarily forsaken in order that another may benefit. 
Another is abandoned for a while so that God may be glorified as happened with the man blind from birth. When we're unable to grasp how terrible pride is, God allows us to fall into sin so that we can understand, so that we may be cured of another hidden passion and so be saved. In general, the saints teach that for those who accept them with gratitude, all calamities contribute to their salvation and are to their benefit. The faithful Christian who trusts in God and whose noose is oriented toward him benefits from all the misfortunes that befall him. Did you hear that? The faithful Christian who trusts in God, whose noose is oriented toward God, benefits from all the misfortunes that befall him. By contrast, he who does not resolutely bear trouble, endure affliction, and patiently sustain hardship has strayed from the path of divine love and from the purpose of providence, according to St. Maximus the Confessor. And that, as for us, the question is, how should we live faithfully according to God's providence? And I find it perfectly summed up in the beautiful words of our patron, the Holy Apostle Paul, in his second epistle to the Corinthians. He says, We do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So our calling today, beloved in Christ, is to cling to what is eternal. For the things seen, for the things that are temporary, the temporary condition of us all, that's not what we look to. But we set our eyes, we direct the entirety of our being to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That whatever befalls us, we accept as within the mystery of his divine providence, through which he is working out our salvation, and even through us, the salvation of others. Therefore, beloved, let us join the man who received not only physical sight, but true sight in seeing the face of Jesus. Let us also believe, and let us worship him. Amen. Christ is risen. Yeah.